I've been very much looking forward to this chapter of John's Gospel, chapter 10 today. So if you have your word, scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, I'd pray that you would turn there. I ask you to turn there, John chapter 10. As we talk about the Good Shepherd, Jesus is a lot of things. Uh, but like many of you, especially the past couple weeks, I've been continually reminded and leaning upon the fact that Jesus is our good shepherd. The imagery of shepherding is, is literally littered throughout the Bible. And even in Jesus' time, shepherding, uh, the imagery of shepherding would have brought to mind the, the pictures of Abraham, the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all shepherds, Moses, shepherd, David, maybe perhaps the most famous shepherd in the Old Testament. David was was actually called to be Israel's king out of the fields. And I won't rehash that whole story this morning, although if I had a whole day to teach, I would love to go back and visit that. But David was called to be anointed king of God's people from tending a flock of sheep. Shepherding is something that has always been on God's heart. From the very beginning of His Word, shepherding has been on God's heart. So when we come to John 10 today and we're going to read this text, it's, it should not surprise us that shepherding is also on Jesus' heart with regard to His own job description. Let's go there now, John chapter 10. As Jesus continues to encounter the crowds in Jerusalem, and in particular encounter the, the doubters, the teachers of the law, those people that he would give a quite an offensive title to today. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lay down his life, lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Stop there. Jesus is alluding at the end there to the miracle that he just performed. We talked about last week, which apparently had left quite an impression on some of the people. Let me give you the cast of characters here in this analogy that Jesus shares about the, um, the sheep and the, the shepherd. He talks about the owner. There's an owner to a flock back in the day, and even today there would be an owner. Typically the shepherd wasn't the owner. There was an owner separate from the shepherd. In this particular story that Jesus tells us, we have to assume that the owner was our Heavenly Father. God Himself is the owner of the sheep. He is the one that owns your life and owns my life. Whether you belong to Christ or not, God owns you. Then there's the gatekeeper. Now there's some... I'll be just honest with you. There's a little bit of discrepancy as to who the gatekeeper is in this analogy. I believe that the Scriptures clearly point out that the gatekeeper is the role of the Holy Spirit in this story. The one who opens the door for the Lord to come and do the work in the lives of the sheep. Then there's the shepherd himself. It's obvious to us who the shepherd is in this story. The shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the flock. In this story that the Lord talks about today, the primary flock in this illustration is Israel. Israel. The children that God had called as a nation set aside for Himself. But I want to focus in on this idea of what makes Jesus our good shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd of the flock. And even today, we, we give... We give uh, title to our elders or our overseers, and the term that we use for them would be pastor. And most pastors who understand this context, understand who Jesus is, would not refer to themselves as shepherd of a flock. They would refer to themselves as God's under-shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd of the flock. The man who serves in the capacity of pastor is the under-shepherd to him. But what makes Jesus our good shepherd. And I just want to hit on three things this morning from this story. Very significant for us to understand our relationship with Him. And I pray that this encourages you today. The first thing that makes Jesus our good shepherd is His call. The call of the shepherd. This is a beautiful aspect to this story. And maybe the most significant. What would happen in those days is that Typically in the evenings, uh, the owner would have the, the sheep of the flock, they would be in a, a walled pen of some sort, gate or stone wall, uh, a fence, something that had them protected in the evening. And the only person who was allowed to come in 
the gatekeeper would open the gate, and the only person who would be allowed to come in to retrieve the flock would be the shepherd. Anybody else who came in would have to come in through deceptive means. They would have to come in by climbing over the wall or sneaking their way in. The shepherd was the one who was allowed in. And the way this would work is the gate would open, the shepherd would come in, and immediately the sheep would begin to uh, gain affection towards the shepherd. And the shepherd would do this. He would call to them, and the sheep would immediately stop what they were doing, and they would begin to gather around the shepherd for the purposes of whatever the shepherd intended. To most usually to leave them back out the gate. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he would call his sheep, and they would be the sheep that the owner had given to the shepherd, and the sheep would respond and then follow. It's this gorgeous image of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into our lives. He walks into the pen And those that are His own and that know His voice respond to His call. Think about Jesus' high priestly prayer. We're going to spend a lot of time in a couple months in John 17, but I just want to highlight a couple verses from there. Jesus is praying to the Father right before His uh, arrest and later His crucifixion. And in John 17, 9-11, He tells His heavenly Father this, He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Does that sound like the owner and the shepherd? All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. The owner has given the flock to the shepherd, the son. The son has entered into the pen. He calls to the sheep which the father has given him and they know his voice and they respond to him. This is a a lost concept on a lot of us. We don't live in a very agrarian society. But I can remember the first time I experienced this. I had a, a major cultural worldview shift when I was 12. I grew up in the middle of the city of Lancaster. My whole life existed in a a five-bedroom row home with four other siblings and a father who worked in the city police force. And my idea of entertaining my days in the summer was uh, we would play stickball in the alley. We would play tackle football in somebody's backyard. We would see who could kick the football highest over the power lines. And we would ride bicycles around the city streets all day long until my dad whistled loud enough for all of us to come in for dinner. That's the way we spent our days. In 12th grade, my parents moved. And they didn't just move. They moved to southern Lancaster County, which is nothing but farms, farmers, and the smell of manure. Uh, So I remember the first day, and as if it wasn't hard enough on me, my parents chose to move me in the middle of the school year in 7th grade. So uh, Christmas break is over. I have to, for the first time ever in my life, ride a school bus. My children can tell you, I walk back and forth to school every day my whole life, uphill, both ways, in the snow, uh, and it was great. Now I had to ride a school bus. I had no idea how this worked. So it was me and one other kid. I walked about 
a third of a mile up the hill from my house, passing cow pastures on both sides on my way to the school bus stop. And on my way up the hill, I hear this noise like somebody hollering out from the top of the hill. And it sounded like, you know, Zooey, Zooey, Zooey. I'm like, what in the world is that? And a little bit later, this other kid, Peter, he comes to the bus stop. And I'm like, you know, we do the formalities. And I'm like, what was that noise? What noise? So I tried to mimic it as best I could. He said, that was me. And he said, I... That's one of my jobs on my way to the bus stop is I have to call the cattle in from pasture. Dad puts them out early in the morning. i got to call them in. I'm like, okay. So I don't know anything about this. It's fascinating to me. So I can remember even a few weeks later, <laughs> we're standing there at the bus stop and there's like, you know, cows on the other side of the road just staring at us. And they're his cows. And they're, they're just kind of doing their thing. They're milling around. And Peter's like, watch this. And he's just like, and these cows just like their heads perk up and they turn around and they look at him like, yeah, what do you want? It was fascinating to me. But that's the way this, this works. You know, the shepherd would walk in and, and he would call out and the, the sheep would know his voice and they would immediately respond and follow him and, and literally follow him wherever he wanted them to go. They were that lost and that trusting. But what's really cool is that it wouldn't have been unusual for a shepherd to know his sheep in such great detail that each sheep had a name. Each sheep had a name. The Scripture tells us that the Good Shepherd calls us each by name. Hear me when I say this. The Lord doesn't call you by groups. The Lord calls you by name. Your name. When the Lord called you to Himself, He has a name in mind. When, when this life is up and when we are judged, there's going to be something that's going to be written in the book of life. Do you know what that is? It's your name. Your name will be written in the book of life. Jesus doesn't call crowds. He calls each person. And this is such an intimate love that the shepherd would have for his sheep. He doesn't want to just know you as a group. He doesn't want to just know you as a church. He wants to know you personally. Christ calls by name, leading his sheep to life. Contrast this with false shepherds, because that's what Jesus is doing here. There's a, a definite dichotomy here that's going on. There's the good shepherd who comes in by the gate. He's the only one that had that access. He calls by name. The sheep gather around because they know what the shepherd has in store is good. They follow him wherever he goes. But then there are false shepherds, and their motive is that of thieves and robbers and destroyers. They can't come in through the gate. Which makes me assured that the role of the gatekeeper is that of the Holy Spirit. The, the false robbers, the uh, false shepherds, the robbers, thieves, deceivers, they can't come in through the gate. So they have to find other ways. So at night, in the cover of darkness, they sneak in under a fence or they climb over a wall. And their purpose is never that of the shepherd. 
Their purpose is self-centered. Their purpose is, is to feed themselves and not feed the sheep. The imagery here of the false shepherds as thieves, robbers, would smack of the, as Jesus spoke of this, it would, it would, he is speaking to those that are growing in their hatred towards him. The Pharisees, the priests, the chief priests, and the rabbis. These are the people that Jesus is, um, calling false shepherds. It would smack of these prophetic words of judgment against these religious leaders. This idea that their leaders would be false shepherds is not something new. In Isaiah 56, the prophet Isaiah said this, All you beasts of the fields come to devour all you beasts in the forests. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark. Dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They've all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. And then he says in Jeremiah chapter 23, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you've scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. There is a a sincere understanding and animosity that Christ has towards those people who are false shepherds who would lead His people astray into destruction. Jesus comes in by the gate. He calls you. There's going to be a lot of people that will speak into our lives. A lot of people that will try and proclaim themselves as having the message of truth. There will be a lot of people who will try to persuade us that they have the right attitude and control over your life. But reality is, they have snuck in by some other way other than the ways of Christ. Christ comes in through truth. Christ comes in through the truth of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Christ comes in through His Word. These people will come in by deceptive ways. And they will look shiny and good on the outside. And they will not lead you to pasture, but they will lead us to destruction. There are a lot of people that unfortunately are following false shepherds today. Just like they were in the days of Christ. These words of judgment in the Old Testament need to be contrasted with Jesus in Matthew 9. He's doing His ministry. He's looking at all the crowds. This, this verse won't be on the screen. It, it just came to me this morning. but It says, Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. And when He saw the crowds... He felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Our Lord knew what they needed was Him. They didn't need more rabbis. They didn't need more teachers in the law. They needed a good shepherd to lead them. And the same is true for us today. Even in this room, there are some of us who are believers and and we need to We need to relearn 
how to follow our Good Shepherd. We need to be reminded of what it means to lean on Him. For some of us, the Lord Jesus has been calling and we've not responded. Calling is such a a significant aspect of what it means to be a follower of Christ because you cannot be a follower until you recognize the Shepherd who's calling you. Is He calling you today? So the first aspect of Jesus as our Good Shepherd is this idea of calling us. The second is the care of the shepherd. The care of the shepherd. It begs the question, why would the shepherd call them in the first place? Is it selfish reasons that the shepherd calls them? No. We see even from this illustration today that the the Lord Jesus calls as Good Shepherd. He calls them out of the pen and He calls them into pasture. What would happen is they would all gather around the shepherd. When He called them by name, they would gather Him around and He would take them out into out of the gate and into pasture so that they could be filled. So that they could be fulfilled. So that they could experience life and purpose. Christ cares for His flock so as to provide life and to build them up. Being a shepherd in biblical times was not a job for the faint-hearted. We think of it as this kind of, uh, you know, real placid sort of way of life. We think of the shepherd in the field at night, you know, sitting on a rock, leaning on his crook staff, just sort of taking a nap, while the sheep sort of bumble around, little bells ringing, you know, and it's a peaceful sort of existence. And in biblical times, It was not a job for the faint-hearted. The dangers were real. They were real. We know that not only in biblical times were there wolves, like Jesus talks about, but we know that there were lions in Israel. We know that there were hyenas. There were jackals. There were bears. There were panthers. There were leopards. You say, where are those animals now? Well, there's a lot of animals 2,000 years later that aren't in North America anymore either. But at that time... The Scriptures teach us that there were many of these predatory animals that the shepherds were leading the sheep out to in the midst of pasture. They were all viable threats. Even um, David talked about this. As he was facing this massive threat called Goliath. Remember that story. A young David coming out of the fields of pasture, uh, shepherding the flock, he decides that he's the man that can take on the champion warrior of the Philistines, Goliath. The nine-foot-tall Goliath. And I don't know if you remember, but the way David stoked his own faith in order to take on this battle was through the memory of what the Lord had led him through in the fields of pasture. Listen to this in 1 Samuel 17.37. David declared this, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Where does a young boy encounter a bear and a lion? Well, you're a shepherd. You lead your sheep out of the pen. You lead them, the flock, out to pasture. 
and sometimes you're going to come across some of these crazy animals. And no rifles back then. I mean, sometimes when, many times when I go archery hunting, I'm keenly aware of the fact that I'm going into the hills where there are many bears, and I no longer have a sidearm or any kind of weapon other than a bow. And trust me, me and my bow are not a good enough shot, I don't think, to take on a bear. But what did David go into the fields with? That's important to understand when we think about all that the Lord provides for us with regard to care. See, the thieves who climb over the wall, the thieves are only interested in providing and feeding themselves. Why do they sneak in? Why do they gather the sheep? Why do they try and lead the sheep away to feed themselves? It's for their own purposes. If you really want to... Um, Mindy and I kind of have a joke. Like There are certain pastors that we know that you can go to their church webpage and the, everything on the cover of their webpage is about the pastor. That makes me really uneasy. If the cover of the webpage of the church has nothing to say about Jesus and nothing to say about the life of the church and everything to say about the pastor's bio, reputation, and books that he's written and songs that he's recorded on CD, that's a serious issue. It, the, the shepherd of the flock, it should not be about him. Jesus leads us out not to see us destroyed and not to feed himself, but to care for us. Those who are hired hands, Jesus said, when they encounter the bears, when they encounter the lions, you know what they're going to do? They're going to drop everything they have and they're going to run. But the good shepherd cares. And when you go through those dark days, when the Lord leads you out into life, and life sometimes involves challenges, and life involves sin, and life involves um, brokenness, and predators, the Lord Jesus Himself will fight. He'll fight for you. He'll stand beside you. He won't abandon you. In the next part of that same high priestly prayer in John 17, as He's praying for His disciples, the Lord says this. He tells His heavenly Father, while I was with them, I kept them in Your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not a one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus definitely saw in Him this role of guardian and protector. And it does not change in our lives. Perhaps the most well-known shepherd in Scripture is David. And I mentioned that. And he penned some of the most well-known psalms, of which perhaps the most well-known psalm would be the 23rd psalm. The shepherd's psalm. It's a shepherd's psalm written by a shepherd about our good shepherd. Let me read to you the first four verses that will probably be so familiar to all of you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You know these words. We think of these as funeral words. But they're not. These are words of life. If you understand the role of a shepherd and what a shepherd would do, the shepherd would lead the sheep out of the pen and into pasture. And what David is saying here is that I rest in this confident fact that above me, above me as a shepherd, is a good shepherd. And the good shepherd does this for his people. What does he do? The good shepherd is our redeem, or is our provider. And the good shepherd is our protector. He leads them out to green pastures. He leads them beside still waters. What does that mean? Well, that was good for sheep. They would go out in certain times of the year, they would have meadows of high grasses that they could feed on. And other times of the year, when the shepherd knew the time was right, he had to lead them to other places to find food, places where there were weeds and, and all sorts of hillside grasses that they could enjoy. The shepherd always led them to food. And the shepherd led them to still waters, places where they could receive refreshing. For the shepherd, his goal in your life is nourishment and refreshing. Nourishment and refreshing. The Lord's intent is not to lead you to a place of suffering and, um, and hatred and animosity and sin. God leads us to places of nourishment and refreshing, feeding on things that are good for us, good for the flock. Wherever, here's the important Wherever Christ leads, it's good. It's good. We try and make deals with God. We don't want to go here. We don't want to do this. We don't want the flock to end up there. I just have come to rest in the fact that there are a lot of places that I want to go that are outside of God's will, not good. Anywhere that Jesus leads me, good. It's not in His capability as a righteous, loving Father to lead us someplace that's not good. But in addition to being provider, I said He's, he's our protector. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What does that mean? A shepherd usually would carry two things. He'd carry a rod and a staff. I remember my father as a police officer... He carried a club, a nightstick. You don't, I don't think police officers even carry those anymore. I think they carry more pepper spray type stuff. But that was his, that was one of his forms of immediate close quarter defense. But a shepherd would carry a rod, and what a rod was, was something that would hook to their belt and it would extend, and they could fight off in close quarters with that. But they also carried a staff, and you think of Moses' staff. This is something that was taller. A lot of times we think of it as being crooked at the top. And this is what the sheep would identify with. A lot of times they could see the staff going, moving around. They would follow the staff. But it was also a weapon for the shepherd. They could fight off at farther distances with this thing. It was longer. They could swat things away. At a further... I'm not saying these are the best weapons that we could come up with today. I'm saying these are the best weapons that they had in that day. The shepherd did not go and take the sheep out uh, simply to lead them to slaughter. The shepherd, the good shepherd, led the sheep out knowing that there were going to be times where he was going to have to fight on their behalf. And Jesus is okay with that. 
The third thing about our Good Shepherd is this. We know that He calls us. We know that He cares for us. The Good Shepherd is also willing to pay a cost for us. The cost of the, of the Shepherd. Christ is proven to pay the ultimate price for our life. Jesus refers to Himself as the gate to the door. Entering through Him means you are saved. Saved from what? Saved from harm? Saved from destruction? Saved from eternal death? In order to realize life, the Bible is very clear. The only way to get there is through Him. This is the most offensive biblical truth to the lost world that there is today. There is no way to life through Allah. There is no way to life through Joseph Smith. There is no way to life through Muhammad. There is no way to life through Buddha. There is no way to life through whatever Eastern, Eastern mysticism philosophy you believe in. There's no way to life through good behavior. The only way to life is through the gate that leads to life. And that gate has a name. And the name is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. In order to be saved, you must trust in Christ. This is John 14, 5 and 6. Jesus said these words. Well, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Because Jesus said, I'm going away. He's referring to his death. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a difference between, one of the main differences between being an under-shepherd and being the good shepherd. I can't save anybody. And anybody who teaches that is climbing in another way, into the pen. There's only one shepherd who will lay down his life in order to save the flock. And that is the Good Shepherd. And he is the way to eternal life. Five times, I don't know if you noticed it, I highlighted it in my notes actually, five times in this analogy, Jesus refers to laying down His life. He says, the Good Shepherd lays down His life. And then later He says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then He says, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And then He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And then He says, I have the authority to lay it down. This was not a passing concept. The Lord said it five times. The Good Shepherd's job, part of His job, is going to be to give of His life for the flock. He knew that. Shepherd wasn't just going out with a rod and a staff. The shepherd wasn't just giving them something to eat and drink. The world will tell you that Jesus was a good guy. Jesus wanted you to be you know, fulfilled personally. Jesus wanted you to feel good about yourself. Jesus wanted to heal people. All those things happen... 
But five times Jesus said the good shepherd comes, why? To die. To die. So that he could take it up again. It's the crux of the Gospels. Paul tells us in Romans 5, He said, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In that while we were still sinners, Christ laid down His life for us. Christ died for us. Christ isn't expecting you to clean yourself up. He's not expecting good-smelling sheep before He lays down His life. Christ expects sheep, be careful of my words here, sheep who stink. We all smell awful. And we all bring a world of smelly stuff to the table. And Christ calls us by name. And we come. And He pledges to love us and lead us to good things and to care for us and to protect us. And as if that's not enough, He says, hey, hopeless, uh, worthless, smelly, sinful, disgusting sheep, I will die for you too. That's the Good Shepherd. We have life only because of His. That's it. Now let me read to you the rest of the 23rd Psalm. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? But what does He say next? Very important words. David said, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, tomorrow I'm doing a funeral, and this verse will be used because it's that important of a concept to understand. These words should not be lost on us because they're familiar. The significance should not be lost on us. What is David saying here? David is saying to the Lord, You, good shepherd, who leads me beside still waters, who will use your rod and your staff to comfort me, I believe that it is you who anoint my head and you who give me the hope to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The good shepherd is our redeemer. The good shepherd is our restorer in all things. What does it mean to have your head anointed with oil? Have you ever experienced that? Probably not. Most of us haven't. Unless you've claimed James chapter 5 as your own at some point in time, unless maybe you've been sick and you've uh, asked for the elders of the church to come and you've confessed your sin and you've asked them to anoint your head with oil and to pray over you for healing. Um, most of us have never experienced that kind of anointing. But oil on the head was symbolic in many different ways in Scripture. It symbolized the coming of the Holy Spirit upon a person. But it also symbolized the hospitality of the Lord. In those days, as guests would come, they didn't have hotels back then, right? 
So as people would travel from place to place, a lot of times they would schedule their stops with acquaintances or friends or family members. And they would stop in their homes. And one of the things that they would do as a good host is that when a guest of high honor would come into their home, they would break out their most expensive olive oil. And they would take it and they would anoint the guest's head with oil. It sounds gross nowadays, but back then it was significant. I mean, they would pour oil on their head as a way of welcoming them and telling them that they have a seat of honor here at their home. That they're loved and that they're welcomed there anytime. And that's what God does with us. When we come into His home, because of the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd takes oil and we sit down at the table. And I love this. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. But you're the guest of honor in His eyes. And He seats you there and He takes the oil and He he breaks open the flask and He pours it on our head and He says, Hey, everybody, I want you to know this person here is special to me. They're welcome here anytime. And not only anytime, but David said, forever, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In David's day, this was the tabernacle of God, was it not? I mean, there was no permanent temple in David's day. It was his son Solomon who would build the first temple. But Christ guarantees our eternal dwelling in the house of the Lord. When God breaks that flask of oil open as His sheep and He calls us by name and then when we come into His presence, He pours that oil upon our head. He says, you're welcome here. You're part of the family. And you're part of the family. And my home is now your home forever. Where I dwell, you will dwell. Where I'm at, that's the tabernacle. And you are welcome there with me forever. I love that image. I love it. And one last thought here as I close. Jesus wraps up this analogy with a pretty peculiar statement. He says, oh, and by the way, I have another flock that you don't know of. Now, the Mormons will teach you that this is the people of North America that needed to be saved in Jesus as well. So Jesus just vanished and ended up in North America after he was resurrected in bodily form and he saved all the people in North America and then he went back and then he ascended. That's totally not what the Bible's saying. That's a lie. Uh, he's saying, I have another flock. If the pen that Jesus was talking about here is Israel, and Jesus has another pen, what do you think the other pen is? Well, most of you in this room are part of that pen. You're not Jewish. I have a few in here with some Jewish heritage. Shalom to you. But for the rest of us, we're Gentiles. I mean, we have barbaric roots going back to Britannia and Prussia and all throughout Europe. We're a bunch of mongrel hordes. We're Romans and all sorts of allegiances in between. We may have some African roots somewhere. But whatever the deal is, most of us are not Jews. And Jesus Christ chose not only to enter into the pen of the Jews, but He entered into the pen of the Gentiles as well. And the most beautiful language to me out of this whole text is when he said, and there will be one flock. What do we call that one flock today? The church. We are the people of his pasture. There are no longer Jews and Gentiles, as the Apostle Paul would say. We are 
simply children of God for his flock. So his mission wasn't just Israel, and it wasn't simply about good living, but it was about saving the entire world, no matter what the cost. That's a good shepherd. I want to close and ask you, first of all, if He's called you. The Lord Jesus calls us to Himself. We respond and repent of our sin. And we give ourselves freely to Him and we say, I believe that You died in order to save me from my sinfulness. I ask for Your forgiveness. And God is so gracious and good. That's why He came to lay down His life. When you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are fulfilling His mission because you are His mission. He died in order that you might be saved. Let today be the day of your salvation. I'm going to lead us in prayer and ask you to respond accordingly. And then to tell somebody. Write it on your card. Come to me after the service and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus to be my my shepherd. I asked Him to be my, my Savior. But for some of you here today, I'm also going to pray that the Lord would care and comfort for you. You feel like you can't even do it for yourself. And I get that. Look, I'm at a place in my life where I'm tired. And I need God to pick up some things for me. And I suspect that some of you are there too. And He comes as a good shepherd prepared to do that. Maybe you're ready for some still waters. I am.